Hey, guys, welcome to The Deeper Dive. Got a full house today. There are four of us. Matthew Hassler is joining us. Good to be here again. Matthew. Matthew, also known as the great Broncos fan. That's right. He's here. Good to see you, man. (laughs) Yep, yep, ride or die. So if somebody's listening to this for the first time. Let's hide. (laughs) Let's hide. (laughs) There we go. Matthew, what what do you do 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 here at Bethel? Uh, I am our adult discipleship director, so small groups, men's ministry, uh, and rooted. Okay, you're here at the Richland campus. Also have Brooks and Adam with us today. Good to see you guys. Good to see you too, Dave, as usual. All righty. So, oh my gosh, we have finished the wonderful book of Haggai. Mm -hmm. And now we've uh, got our first message going back into the book of Acts, kind of returning to it, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take a look at this guy named Saul, one of the most famous people in the world, right? One of the most famous people in Christendom. Let me start off like this. So we've all worked in a number of different churches, right? In fact, between us, I don't, it's going to be weird to try to figure out how many years of service we have here. Who, who is the most spiritually You just powerful? don't want to count because it's going to reveal. I know, I was like, reveal. quick, abort, abort. Since <laughs> Let's I've, add ours and let's watch Dawson just wash over that. Yeah, I know, right? Dawson has more years than the three of us collectively. <laughs> exactly, yes. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. So. <laughs> moving along. Just moving right along. So who is the most spiritually powerful person that you personally have worked with? Looking back in your... Other than you? Yeah, other than me. It's like, well, yeah, it goes without saying. Yes. Most spiritually powerful person you've ever worked with. Person. Hmm. What do you mean by that, Dave? Um, that, you know, some people are just, uh, you know, you know, the good, good Christian people, good ones to work with, good preachers or whatever, but some people just seem to have another gear. Hmm. Right, and it's a it's like a spiritual gear, both in their, both in, perhaps, uh, both in their their own personal relationship with the Lord and their expression. They just have this mm-hmm. like this faith that just like whoa, makes things happen. Mm-hmm. Who comes to mind when you think of your past? I mean, I think of it, it wouldn't be like someone just from. It would actually be my grandfather, who who was a minister. Um, I don't think I would call him spiritually powerful. Like, you know, like, I mean, we got Paul where he's doing all these major things. But you talk a guy uh, who's just like rock solid faithful. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was him. Um, and that, that was true through his entire ministry career and the way he raised his family and all of that stuff. But then even in more recent years, uh, you know, lost his wife, which would be my grandmother. And then in COVID, lost uh, my uncle, his firstborn son. Mm-hmm. And man, the way he has grieved through that and the way he has just stayed so faithful. That's just incredible. Like, that's powerful faith. Yeah. Um, and so everything he has done has impacted me in a major way. I think some of the most powerful, spiritually powerful people aren't people that we we know. Mm-hmm. We won't know until we get to heaven who some of those people are. And I think we'll be, there'll be some surprises about who's really celebrated. Hmm. I've got a pastor friend slash mentor named Mark. He's He's probably 15 years older than I am, and he's labored at a small, small church for a little over 20 years. They just gave him his first sabbatical, actually, after mm. um, ministry. Man, I did an internship underneath him, but also just being a friend, he's mentored me for a long time. And just his resolve and his endurance, the stuff he's willing to put up with, his love for people, even like when my my own family, parents lost their parents, like when my dad lost his dad 
about 10, 11 years ago and he was really hurting. Like this guy came into my family, ministered to my family, mm -hmm. like just mm -hmm. has a heart that beats for people, wants to share the gospel, wants to do life with people, like gives himself probably sometimes too much mm -hmm. to people. Um, but he's been just a model of what it looks like to serve the Lord without complaining. Yeah. And okay. to really give it his all. Okay. And it has inspired me. That's really cool. You know, I could probably, I have a, a, a man that I <clears throat> worked with, worked for um, early on in my career, and I, and he re just recently stepped out of ministry, um, and and probably sounds very much like uh, your grand grandfather, uh, Matthew. So I'll go a different route. I'll, I'll say I, I worked with a guy just for <clears throat> I don't know three years maybe, and um, when I in some pretty formative years for myself, I was in college and he was uh, out of college. Um, and, uh, his, uh, so his name was Jeff and we called him triple F Jeff because he, he spelled his name J E F F F had three F's hmm. in his name. Seriously. Yeah. Triple F <laughs> Jeff. Yeah. Bonus letters. Yeah. The F is silent. So is the other one. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Two <laughs> silent letters and that, but no, he, he would, uh, just one of those guys that it was just uber dedicated. So I, you know, get up early never misses never misses early morning quiet time before everybody else in this house got up and then he would do his extracurricular reading and uh just always i don't know i would say where we're uber spiritual for him was just clear priorities of faith and family and then work um following that and just the the model that he he laid out for me as he was mentoring me and discipling me um was yeah i was blessed by that because mm -hmm. of his mostly because of how he prioritized his, his mm -hmm. life and his dedication. Now, now he's a pastor in Colorado and yeah. doing his thing down there. Hmm. Well, I'll go ahead and answer the question myself. I, I became a Christian actually here in Eastern Washington when I was ninth or 10th grader. My uncle shared with me when my dad was in Vietnam. And then uh, we rendezvoused with him a year later in, uh, in Hawaii. And okay. So I became a Christian, right? So I start going to church. I'd kind of, Actually, growing up in the Catholic Church, I was an altar boy in the whole thing. And uh, somebody invited me to this Baptist church, right? I didn't know what it was. So I went first Sunday, and uh, guy gets up to speak, gets up there, takes his watch off. And he had a, he, had a, he was a big guy, and he had a, clearly had a broken nose, right, at some point, right? And I'm like, oh, that's- Got to fight somewhere. Yeah, that's really, I'm like, dude, that's really cool. He's got a, he's got a broken nose. I, that was pretty neat. He gets up there. His name is Jim Cook. He actually just died here several weeks ago. He had been a missionary in Philippines and stuff. And uh, he gets up. I kid you not. He starts talking about the fact that he was, he was actually raised in India. He was, his dad was a missionary there. And he, I kid you not, my first Sunday there, he goes off in this story about, and there was a Bengali tiger. Because he had this like English accent because he was raised in India, right? And he starts talking about this. Bengali tiger was eating our villagers. So I had to go out with my gun and shoot the Bengali tiger. I'm sitting there listening to this guy. Whole Lee smokes. I mean, the guy just sucked me in. So, I mean, that was him. He was like this, Jim Cook was like this larger than life guy, but with an outsized faith too. He was like fearless, man. And I, that was the first time that I had run into, I mean, pardon the expression, but like a man's man, like a guy that I felt like I could really respect, you know? And uh, man, it just, that was kind of my ushering into the Christian faith. I was, it, it, was, it was cool. Well, part of the reason I bring this up is we are, meeting somebody here in Acts chapter 9 last week who's a, I mean, just a tremendously uh, 
influential figure, and that is Paul. And right off the bat, his name is Saul. So before we even kind of look at his life at all in any way, like what is with name change changes in the Bible? Like it, 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 it seemed to run into this periodically. So what is the deal with name changes in the Bible? Why, why is that? Well, some, so, so uh, sometimes it's a change that God has brought about, right? Mm-hmm. Abram, Abraham. <clears throat> sometimes it's just a language thing. Right. Uh, and I, I was uh, reading something on this not that long ago, actually, with Saul, Paul specifically, that there's a lot of assumption that that's based around his conversion, but it actually mm-hmm. probably has a little bit more to do with the traveling of like he's in the uh, primarily Jewish setting, and then the Aramaic more, the, and, and then going Greek, to the Greek setting, yeah. and so that's actually, Salas to Palas. Is, is actually Palas. probably it's probably actually mm. just a language thing, not mm-hmm. a spiritual significance thing. And sometimes it is a good caution, though. Like sometimes we overly spiritualize things. We see something, we're like, "That's got to be that." Like look at that, but right, it, like reality, with Peter, right? You, Peter, yeah, that'd be another right. great example. That's a solid name change where Jesus is like, "No, I'm going to call you Rocky," right? Like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But that's nice. probably not what happened here, as was the conclusion of that article. You just gave like a whole new connotation to that renaming of Peter. Yeah. With like the Eye of the Tiger song yeah. going on. Yeah. Jesus says you're, you're going to read that text differently, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be harder to read it with a straight face. <laughs> we see name changes th- throughout Scripture, though, right? Mm-hmm. G- Jesus, most notably, changes names of some of his disciples. Peter, is he changing any of the other names of his disciples? Just the nicknames, right? I mean, yeah. like Sons of Thunder is a nickname. Yeah, That's pretty right. change. Yeah, but like Abram becomes Abraham, Abraham, um, Sarah, Sarai to Sarah. There's a number of changes that obviously have like a will have a theological significance. A couple of weeks ago, you talked about how God renames His chosen people, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that there's there's an identity thing there where God claims us as His own. Mm-hmm. So it's good to look out for that as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a cool cool scripture, right? I, read it here a couple of weeks ago, you're right, just in Revelation where those who have conquered by faith will will be given a stone on it and a stone will have our, mm-hmm. a, a, yeah, a name, a name for us that, that the Lord himself will give us. It's actually really cool. Okay, well, Saul has this tremendous conversion. So I think we're all familiar with the story. This bright light comes down. Jesus speaks to Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you, why are you persecuting me? Um, why is it that sometimes... Sometimes uh, these conversion stories are super dramatic. And I I think for people who don't have these dramatic conversions, it it can make them feel substandard or less, like they are less Christians. Have you guys run into that? I've definitely run into people who, yeah, fear that since they didn't have a conversion story like someone else's. Mm-hmm. More that their testimony. I mean, I struggled with this as a kid too. Like my testimony is if you if you weigh it up against someone who had like a drastic yeah. life change. I remember Jason telling a story about how he was converted, right? About a year ago. Mm-hmm. Like when someone actually got stabbed to death, his friend. Yeah. And I was like, I was just raised as a Christian and yeah, can't pastor's top that. kid. Like there was a moment where like God brought me to my knees, but it wasn't like those drastic stories, and I'd be insecure about it. Other people, I think, can have like, I need to have this massive spiritual experience, like a Damascus Road experience. Um, but even in Acts, I mean, you have thousands of people being converted to the way earlier in Acts, and it gets like a verse, but it's significant. Yeah. Paul, Paul is a figure that that Jesus has chosen to use that will impact the entire Gentile world. And so it's given extra attention because of his like his his role as an apostle to the nations. And and I think significantly, like the amount of literature that Paul writes in the New Testament, like the the, the importance of hearing his voice and the authority of his voice, but also like 
Saul needs to have an encounter with Jesus to be an mm-hmm. apostle. And so yeah. like Luke is making a point to say like, even though Saul didn't walk with Jesus on earth, like he, he might've seen him, like he had an encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And so I think you just get extra attention, but we shouldn't compare our story against Paul and just say like, man, I have to have that same like blinding experience. Mm-hmm. You have you ever about. met anybody that tries to go out and make a testimony? So I, I had a, an acquaintance that her testimony was grew up in a Christian home. Like her, her grandparents were, or her parents rather were uh, just those pillars of steadfastness and faith in church, right? They were just really great people, prayer warriors. She grew up in that. That's the family she grew up in. And she, she didn't have a testimony. And she, mm. and she said that when she was like in college, she felt like she needed to go make a testimony. So she, she, she tried to veer off the path and mm. like tried oh, to man. get into the party scene, try and, and she didn't take, um, because probably because she was already saved. Like she, like you already, she, she already couldn't stomach it. Yeah. She couldn't stomach some of that stuff. Mm. Um, I, 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 the, the, everybody has a miraculous faith story. Yeah. If, if you have gone from death to life, that is a miraculous thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now some people are, have, have more shock and awe in it. Then others, mine doesn't have very much shock and awe in it. Right. I, I grew up, in a, in a Christian home, I'm, I was at family camp with <laughs> surrounded by Christian people, and I was really little. And I said, "Yeah, I want to go to heaven." That was that's pretty much yeah, same. Mm-hmm. right. So uh, you know, I've I've had I've had times where that has been made more clear for me. But um, Dave, I just I would say, I say yeah, not everybody needs to have this crazy Saul on Damascus Road experience, and I'll throw this in here too. I don't think that, um, maybe someone would be tempted to think this, that unless you have had a large conversion experience that God can't use you in large ways, right? that's not true either. Mm -hmm. Uh, the conversion experience does not equate Mm -hmm. the, uh, uh, God's ability to use you Mm -hmm. anyway. There, there are great missionaries who have had lackluster conversion experiences Mm -hmm. that are just, we grew up in Christian homes, but they have done fantastic work uh, for the kingdom. So I, I would well, look at, throw, look throw at the three there. of you. You guys all came from lineages of mm-hmm. Christianity. Uh, Jason and I are kind of the outliers, right? But look at you guys, man, three of the four of us here, you guys are doing powerful, great work. And you guys don't have a story like we see in Saul, right? Yeah. Or going from not just shock and awe, but going from, oh, I'm super bad. Yeah. Now I'm like really good. Well, so. some of it too is like when we think of like testimonies, like we we only frame it sometimes around the conversion and like not everyone has that dramatic, but like what would also be equally tragic if you can't speak to how God has transformed your life. For sure. So like you have a testimony if you're a believer in Christ Jesus. It is a story of what God has done for you in your life. Not to be confused with your life story. People get that confused a lot too. But, uh, you know, I mean, you have something to share because God's done something in you and we can speak to that. Because just like Brooks said, I mean, there's always that. That's a miracle that has happened in your heart. God's impacted you in some sort of way, and we should be able to articulate that. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. So going on in this, this whole story, Saul has this dramatic conversion. <clears throat> Jesus comes and speaks directly to him and stuff. And then you got this guy by the name of Ananias, right? Ananias is supposed to go and kind of bring Saul into the fold. Ananias is somewhat uh, reticent to do it. So let me, let me ask you guys this, okay? We've all talked about people in our lives that were, you call them spiritually powerful or influential um, who are, was there an influential, a really influential person in your life that actually 
help helped you realize that you should be in, if you call it full-time Christian ministry or, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it, being a pastor or whatever, but following Christ in this, in this manner. So you're nodding your head over there. Say, say that again. Yeah. Are you, is yeah. someone, someone who called us into ministry or helped us realize yeah, our call somebody, to ministry? Okay. Yeah, exactly. They helped you realize your call or they, they actually helped shape you, influence you to become Christ, uh, spiritual leaders. I mean, for me, yeah, the, the leaders I just had in crew was kind of where that, um, when I was in college, that helped shape that out for me. Uh, and so I can name them, maybe probably three, four guys that you could put on that list. Mm-hmm. But like, we're super impactful for me, you know, leading that ministry and then leading that ministry also really brought a lot of clarity to that call to ministry mm-hmm. that I was, I was pretty slow on the uptake. Mm-hmm. So God was fortunately patient enough to, <laughs> yeah. to bring me around to it. But um, no, you need guys who are going to come along and like, even when you start going down that road, someone who gives you good advice usually says, well, go ask other people who know you and see what they think about that. Right. Yeah, same here. Uh, I've used this name before, but John Stone was probably the the guy that first pointed out, gave me opportunities to do ministry and was like, you should pursue this, you know, outside of my parents who were like, oh, you should be in ministry. I'm like, yeah. When, they, when my parents would say it, I'm like, yeah, I don't want it. Um, <laughs> but then like through experience and having someone actually, like an actual pastor say like, hey, come under my wing, give me opportunities, give me some feedback and say, keep pursuing it. And then God has just opened the doors for a number of people. Mark, that pastor I was talking about being one of them, just saying like, hey, let me pour into you, but like you need to go pursue this. Mm-hmm. Like you'd be crazy mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. ignore like the calling on your life. So even times where you feel, when I have felt discouraged or times where I wanted to hang up the hat during seminary, even early in ministry, like those, especially this this guy, Mark, lift me up and be like, hey, keep going, keep mm-hmm. running. Mm-hmm. Kind, of, kind of a sidebar there, but so did your parents want you to go into ministry? Is that something that you felt? Yeah. So, I mean, I could, in a pastor's home, it was just sort of what we, like the life we lived. And my parents were from an early age, just like, we could totally see you in ministry. And as a kid, I wanted it. So like I I told the story before, like I dressed up as a music pastor when I was like six for Halloween (laughs) at Awana. Like what kid does that? But by the time I was 17. It's a pretty scary costume. It was. It's it like pants pulled up tight, shirt tucked <laughs> yeah. in, a little tight clip. <laughs> At little. least it wasn't the skinny jeans at that time. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, but by the time I was in high school and had just experienced some pain in the church, like ministry was the last thing I wanted to do. So my parents mm. would say that, like it literally would, I, it would make me angry. Wow. And so they would, they wanted that, but it wasn't until God did a work in my heart and opened up our opportunities that I realized like, this is actually something I feel like God has called me to. So it's just interesting because like, I know like, for my grandfather raising his kids, he like pretty much outright discouraged it. <laughs> He's like, it's a difficult road. And like, if God calls you, I mean, you could do what you got to do, but if you can do anything else, you should probably do that. Like yeah. that was kind of the attitude. So I was just surprised yeah. to hear that. Like that's a very different uh, take on it, which is interesting to me. Yeah. No, that's Thanks for sharing that though. Yeah. Maybe this is a, a question that won't go anywhere, but you're talking about, we're talking about call, mm-hmm. call to ministry. Um, sidebar. I have a, I have a, professor had a professor in, in seminary that would say, don't say call to ministry because we don't, we don't see that in scripture. We see a call to salvation and an appointment to ministry, but which brings up this reading this text is Saul's conversion. Also a call to ministry because, because it is, he is, he meets Jesus. And then right after he meets Jesus, what does he says? He says, go, go to this place and I'm going to use you. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and obviously that that's in there for uh, Ananias is at least told that call, yes, right? Right, yeah, yeah. I guess to yeah, take to name the Gentiles yeah. kings and Israelites, uh, I will show them how much you will suffer for my name. But certainly, yeah. God had that. I guess you professional to pardon the term 
calling yep. mm-hmm. on, on his life. I've heard that debate before, though. Yeah. I mean, this. I was reading Galatians today, which is perfect for this text. Paul, I think, combines, and this isn't the same for everybody, although I think every Christian has some form of ministry they're called to do. But for him, he wraps up his conversion and his call to be an apostle in the same yeah. the same text where he says, uh, <laughs> I had it pulled up. But God set him apart before he was even born. Here it is, Galatians 1.15. Mm. And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son for me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So like for him, like there was a calling both to Jesus in faith, but also a calling into a ministry to the Gentiles. So, so it's interesting. So interesting. So you see that God did set him apart, yeah. you know, even before he was born. And yet Ananias still had to come in and do his part. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, Jeremiah says the same thing, right? Like he, we use that, that verse all the time about God. What is it in Jeremiah 1 talking about like setting him apart or knowing him before he was born? Is that oh, Jeremiah yeah. 1? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. similar talk here where it's talking about Jeremiah's relationship with the Lord, but also his calling as a, as a prophet. Yeah. Like a, a type of Old Testament apostle. So your professor is probably way smarter than all of us together, but I would love to hear more of that because I've always heard the language of calling to ministry. Yeah. And I, don't, well, I, th- I, don't I think, think it, I think it just rolls off our tongue so naturally of like, uh, oh, I was called into ministry. I'm called here, hmm. called that. Like, I think I, I, as his, I, I, as I have heard him unpack the, the and the professor, Ron Mars, I think he's known around here a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but his, uh, I, I think his argument kind of goes in, in the way of like, we have potentially over-spiritualized sure. s- some of our uh, life mm-hmm. choices and life stages that uh, really God appoints you someplace to, mm-hmm. to work and serve. And that could be in a secular position um, or it could be in, in the church. But uh, yeah, calling is what he, is how he puts it is is when when people are called, especially in the New Testament, we see that the calling is in reference to salvation, hmm. and that's why I look, look here. I'm like, huh? I haven't thought about this. It's, this seems to be paired, and Paul seems to pair it himself. Of hey, I was called uh, as uh, this, this this experience I had. Yeah, I met Jesus, and I was then called to be an apostle. I think one one of the things that we can really do for each other is call out gifting that we see in other people. Totally, and it doesn't matter if you're called into like quote full time ministry or whatever that is. By the by the way, here uh, just two weekends ago, uh, you know, I was up with the high schoolers, and there's a kid there. I won't say his name is, but every time he talks, he's super articulate mm. about biblical things. Mm. I've noticed it <laughs> last last week here. I just went up to him. I said, hey, I don't even know him very well. I said, hey, brother, uh, you ever thought about being a pastor? You are super articulate. He goes, what's articulate mean? <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I said, hey, man, you are clear. Like every time you talk, somebody asks you a question about the Bible, you are super clear. And I asked him, have you ever, have you ever taught anything? And sure enough, he's done a little bit of teaching to, to young people and stuff. Mm-hmm. But all I was doing was pointing out what I see. I'm not God, mm-hmm. but here's what I see. By the way, I think this this is a nice little jump point to jumping point to something that we have been working on here at Bethel Church, and that is the pipeline. Yeah. Our pipeline is moving people from being team members up into being leaders over other people, and then from there being leaders over leaders, and then going up to being you know leaders over maybe be a department or something bigger. Mm-hmm. But one of the ways that works is for us to call out the gifting we see in each other. The frame. Pardon me. Yeah, the frame, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's 
Do you remember what that is? I, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to let you take it just so I don't mess it up. <laughs> yeah. It's success, mentor and quit, man. Come on now. Come on. Nice. I just didn't want to on the yeah. spot fail. So I, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Well, it's F R A M E. I could, I could whip it out for you. It, the, we're looking around. So, so the F is we find people. That is like if we see something in somebody, it's we call it the I-C-N-U, right? Like four letters. But actually, it's like, here's what I see in you, man. I see this gifting. The R is we challenge them, just like I kind of challenge this kid. Go and reflect on it. Think about it. That's the R. And then the A is we actually assess. All right, well, let's talk about this. Is this, this what you need to do? And the M is kind of we walk along with them and mentor them. We apprentice them. And the E is we continue to equip them. But this is one of the things we want to get really good at in our in our in our church, right? We want to be able to see things in other people and um, not just get so caught up in our own lives, but really give ourselves to looking out for other what other uh, what other people have. By the way, I think there are some people that are actually gifted, super gifted at seeing what other people's gifts are. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we do it organically. Like we can, we just mentioned people in our life that have done that. Um, cause some people are just gifted in seeing other people, right? A couple weeks ago in your sermon, you had the, the gift of seeing things that no one else mm-hmm. see. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's got that's you in true. trouble. Yes, exactly. But I think what I love about the frame is that it becomes a part of our mentality of like, we're, we're, whether it's like something you do intuitively or not, like it's putting us in front of us, Hey, be on the lookout for people and watching and being able to have conversations with them and move them into like their next step as a disciple and as a leader. If you don't have something in place like that, then it's all intuitive and it probably doesn't happen as often as it should. Right. Which I, which I love about it. Right. Well, I think a great challenge is, man, you know, kind of looking at this, this section of scripture is the Lord continues to convert people. Mm-hmm. He wants, he wants them to not just have a conversion experience. He wants them, them to follow him, man. These, these, this, these kinds of stories can happen today. And then second of all, man, we can all be like an Ananias, right? right. We should yeah. all be on the lookout for other people's gifts, acknowledge them. By the way, we can, uh, if you think of your conversion story, it's like, a, it's like this giant fire in your life. That's, a, that's what this feels like with Paul. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you point out other people's giftings and the things you see in them, character, good character traits or whatever, you're lighting a fire in them, mm-hmm. right? We, we, we actually set, help set them on fire in, in a great way. Mm-hmm. One of the things I love about this is... is you know, we have your translation might have like red letters that Jesus is actually speaking here. And we, we talked about this at the beginning of Acts that Acts is like, it's not just a book about the Holy Spirit. Some people say it's that. It's not just a book about Jesus. It's not just a book about the apostles. Like, it's a book of Jesus working through his spirit yeah. by his apostles. And here you have Jesus who's showing he's still involved mm-hmm. in the mission of the church and he's still involved in conversion stories. So, like, he goes because Ananias goes because Jesus comes to Ananias and he coordinates that relationship. So I just love how like Jesus dips back in to acts here in chapter nine to show like, Hey, he's been the one in control the whole time. And I think Jesus is still doing that. Like when we're, when we're watching and and following Christ's uh, leading, like we're able to be a part of ministry journeys for other people and expanding the kingdom in that way. So I, I think it's super significant that it's, it's not just a, a random urging of Ananias, but that Jesus, the glorified Jesus actually comes and does it. Amen. Significant. Just a great wrap up, uh, Adam. Thank you very much. Well, guys, thank you very much. And by the way, thank you for sharing your lives with us. I mean, it's just, it is a blessing for us to know more about our leaders, people that have influenced our leaders. So thank you very much. If you guys want to check us out, you can get onto our website. It's Bethel.ch. And there are ways that you can use your gifting in our church. Thanks, guys. (laughs) 